Well, greetings and welcome back to Deep in Scripture. I'm Marcus Grodi, your host, joined with my son, John Mark. Hello, John Mark. How are you today? Good, Dad. How about you? Good. Very good. And, and uh, excited about looking at our uh, portion of Cyprian today as we continue through Cyprian's treatise on the Lord's Prayer, focusing on his section on the knowing of God's will, the doing of God's will. And as Cyprian emphasized in this letter, if you, if you listen to our previous uh, episodes, uh, Cyprian says, we're not talking, when we pray, Lord, thy will be done, we're not really praying so much that uh, that God's will be done as it will be done in our lives, and that we learn him, discern it, and that we, by grace, are able to o- obey God's will, carry it out in our lives. And he's recognizing, as we talked about last week, the context of the world that he was writing in, where there was much trouble in the church, a lot of conflicting voices on how to know God's will and to follow it, mm-hmm. what it meant. And so that was the motive behind his letter. And he gives a list of of, um, of values or virtues that are important for us if we want to hear God's will know what it is in our life, and then follow it. Yeah. Now, as I was reading these this morning, John Mark, again, uh, the translators sometimes use simple words to summarize more complicated concepts. And that can be gr- good for reading from a pulpit, but it doesn't necessarily help us in a study to get deeper into what Cyprian is trying to convey. Uh, so on the one hand, some might say, well, this long list of things is just Cyprian using a whole bunch of words to say the same thing. Or does, on the other hand, does each word in itself constitute an individual topic? Right. And, yeah. and to some extent, I think it's more the middle road of that. A lot of these are very connected, but yeah. yet each word is is dealing with a specific virtue or need of our spiritual journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like we said last week, you know, the, what, what's neat about this whole study is that it, he is starting as a starting point, looking at the Lord's prayer. And so in the Lord's prayer, we, we have this exhortation to, to, to pray for God's will to be done. And so he's specifying that to imitate Christ in wanting the Lord's will to be done in us. We take all these concepts, we look at all these different aspects, facets of our life and that simple concept of the Lord's will being done in us is is broken open more and more. And there's more contours, more nuances of our life that maybe hitherto we maybe left outside that box. We left outside the compartment of our faith. And now they're they're drawn up in to um, that material out of which God wants to make uh, our lives something uh, great. And we have a problem today that was a problem in Cyprian's day. In Cyprian's day, when a a person wanted to become a Christian, they would go through a process, not unlike what we do today called RCIA. And, uh, you know, they begin in stages, especially if they'd never been baptized. So they come in and they only learn certain things that they're able to handle. But once they're, they've gone through the process and they've, they've confessed and, and uh, profess the creed and and then are baptized, then they learn new things. And one of those new things they learned was the Lord's Prayer. So you see in the early catechesis 
like in today's reading from Cyril of, of uh, Jerusalem in the Liturgy of the Hours, you know, there, there, there's a stages. And yeah. so the, the, the handing on of the Lord's Prayer was very special, and the learning of that was special. But the problem is that over time, we become saying it and then don't even think about it. Hmm. I mean, how many times a day do we say it in the Liturgy of the Hours, or we go to Mass, or we say it in, our, in the Rosary? We just say it 10 times, and we don't think about it. Well, so Cyprian cuts us at the quick and says, pause for a second and think about the importance of what you're saying, especially in knowing God's will. So we, as we move down the list, we've talked about humility in our daily lives, then unswerving, unwavering faith, and then a moral sense of modesty in conversation. And then last week, justice in acts and mercy in deed, and there's so much more we could talk about in those issues. Today we're getting to the word discipline. Now in the Liturgy of the Hours translation, the Cyprian, it just has the word discipline. And so again, how does discipline in our life, what does that mean? What does Cyprian mean in terms of how does that prepare us, enable us to hear and know God's will? But discipline is one of those one words that could mean a, a, a many things. But I noticed that Dr. Kenneth Howell's translation, as well as the translation of the Fathers of the Church, they expand that to mean discipline and morals. And that I think that's important to see here. So that discipline isn't just another way of saying justice and acts and mercy and deed, but it's getting at a specific area of the Christian's life, and that's morality and being disciplined, specifically to use Paul's idea, discipline with what we do with our body. And we didn't have a pope all that long ago that made a big deal about that, didn't we, John Mark? Yeah, Pope John Paul II. Uh, in many ways, it was part of his project to you know help us rediscover, recapture our appreciation for the fact that man, we are not disembodied, you know, spirits who just happen to inhabit this temporary vehicle. No, we as humans, we are body and soul. So what we do with our body matters. Um, you know, and so discipline and morality, again, I think one of the keys here for me is that, um, again, there isn't these these compartments of our life. You know, everything we do, um, we're either doing it, we're either failing to look at things in our life in the context of God and his will, or we are looking at every little thing and saying, no, each of these things, each of these responsibilities, each of these people, each of these decisions, they, they are, they're wrapped up into my my pursuit of, of virtue and holiness today. And so discipline and morality, moral virtue, um, you know, he's, he's looping that all in the, the, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot, lot to go in there, but you've got a great collection of verses for us to break that open. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So Matthew 19, 16 through 22. And behold, one came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? One there is who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which? And Jesus said, you shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have observed. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go 
Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It's a great verse. Uh, So many different directions, as with all these, so many different directions you can go with it. I think the first thing that comes to mind with regard to discipline and morality, this this topic we're breaking open, is that... um, Going along with a lot of the threads of the New Testament, there's a there's a distinction uh, that's being made um, that we we can kind of when we begin down the path of of getting sin out of our lives and imitating Christ, uh, following the commandments. To some degree, we begin with the big things, the big obvious things, you know, um, and in many ways the external things. But the the prog- the progression forward is sort of internally. You know, externally, certainly, I don't want to lie and cheat and steal and murder and, you know, commit adultery. But then as I progress, that turns more inward and saying, okay, but but where is my heart in all those things? How is my heart remain attached to things? You know, and and of course, a point in term, you know, a point that has to be made in terms of God's will with his verse, sometimes it's a stumbling block that that we read it and say, well, you know, is is the takeaway here that we're all supposed to sell all our possessions and give to the poor? Is that the takeaway? And... And maybe we think the answer is yes, and so we're daunted by it. And or maybe we think, well, no, that couldn't be the case in my situation, so we disregard the verse. And we've talked about this before. But the takeaway is, no, no. But in that, that was the step in his life. That's what God called him to. God may not be calling you to that as your next step, but there is no aspect of your life that is left out of this. And so, if there is an attachment in your heart, that's still something that to be aware of and, and to pray about and to, and to work at, you know, because all aspects of our life are to be under the dominion of Christ, even if we take it one step at a time. Very good, John Mark. Yeah, I, 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 uh, when I look at this, I also see, you know, a, a young man who's been cut to the quick mm-hmm. and he's come to Christ. He's basically saying, all right, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And that's the first step. That's the very first step that we want for ourselves and our kids and everyone to get to that point of saying, all right, Lord, right, right. what do you want? And often with that is what they're saying is, what's the will of God for my life? Whatever it is I want to do. And Jesus says, "Number, that's good. That's the first step. Jesus said, good, well done. Good and faithful servant. It's a great first step. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> second step is, well, now wait a second. We already know some things, mm-hmm. as you said. There's some pretty clear things. Right. That aren't a mystery. Yeah. They're there. And and Jesus says, have you done these? Have you done at least the basics? Right. And that's why we teach our children the Ten Commandments. We teach them the basics. These are the, this is the stuff. These aren't, these aren't negotiable. Right. And the young man in this case said, yeah. It's awesome. And as you said, John Mark, now let's let's cut through that. Great, but what's behind, what's the deeper? Saint Teresa talking about the seven castles. You know, well, the first one, the first steps are the externals. Well, then you get the deeper and the harder stuff. Where's your heart? And as he said, Jesus cut to the quick and said, "I." He knows our hearts. He said, "This is what's in the center of your heart. Was your stuff? Right? Can you let go of your stuff?" And he couldn't. Right. And, you know, whether this applies to everybody or not, as you were saying, the question is, Jesus did say many, many times that the gospel involves detachment, 
simplicity. That's true for everyone. That's one of the givens. Yes. Mm -hmm. That is one of the givens. But how we live that out is going to be a bit different. But the point is, where's our heart? So in the, this discipline of morals, this, the reason we chose us to start with is to recognize there's some givens in life. And the, mor the moral life of the church, as beginning with the Ten Commandments and the teaching of the church, is not a negotiable option. We don't listen first to our culture and decide what is culture saying is morally right or wrong, and then we, then we decide whether we'll follow the church. It's the other way around. And that's where Christ is beginning here. Let's go to the next passage, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. And I always am nervous whenever we pull a passage out of a section because it's, it's, there's a wider context in Ephesians. But basically, this is the second half of Ephesians, which is about, okay, now that you've been baptized and been changed, now here's how you're to live your life. And one of those things is that it involves, here's what he says, put off your old nature, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new nature created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. There's so much we could talk about in this, but I think the, the point is that this progression of our life and growing in grace, growing to become more like Christ, growing to become perfect, to grow in, in the divine life, as Peter talks about, is this mysterious partnership with grace and our freedom of will. It's not something that's just done to us, nor is it something that is purely our efforts, the Pelagian view. No, but it's a both and. It's a both and. It involves our responding to God. So that's why he gives an exhortation to put off and be renewed and put on. So the discipline of morality involves the disciplining of our will, yeah. the choosing of what goes into our mind and in our heart and in our lives, because it involves us constant putting behind us that which we've brought with us that needs to be put off and to put on the new man as Paul would say. Yeah. The, the first act of virtue, you know, and the, so you know, drawing from uh, Joseph Pieper here, drawing from Thomas Aquinas, you know, making, putting a very strong point on the fact that pr prudence, rather surprisingly, is sort of the cardinal virtue of the cardinal virtues. It's the mother and mold of all virtue, as, as Thomas Aquinas calls it. Well, that strikes us as strange. But if we, even if we think about this passage, we recognize that the decision to discipline ourselves, the decision to put off this or to put on that, all that begins with our intellect and our, 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 our decision to decide, our decision to be the kind of people who don't just bounce through life doing whatever we feel. You know, I wake up in the morning, I eat or I sleep, you know, I just go, no, today I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking ahead and saying, Lord, what is your will? I'm making a decision. I'm putting off these things. I'm putting on these things. So all moral virtue, all discipline and virtue begins with this, uh, this renewal of our mind, this renewal of the spirit of our minds. 
that we we engage uh, on a fundamental level, you know, with God, and that's what prayer is, right? Where we're engaging with God, we're we're putting ourselves in the presence of God, we're asking what God's will is, we're we're trying to be receptive to whatever that data is, whether it's what's in Scripture or what we're receiving in prayer, or you know what we're we're reasoning about our life. But it begins by engaging our reason, our intellect, saying what is true, what is real, what is God's will, and then making a decision. Um, and I I really think this kind of reflects how how the early fathers thought about the Beatitudes. You know, you're putting off the old nature means, you know, uh, detachment from the world, detachment from sin, detachment from ourself. That's the first three Beatitudes. And then right. hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Mm-hmm. And then purity of heart comes. Purity yes. of heart is renewing the spirit of your mind. I mean, so this is Paul reflecting, if you will, how do you apply the Beatitudes of Christ to real life out here? This is what it involves every single day, putting off, putting on. Yeah. All right, John, Mark, why don't you go ahead with the Hebrews passage? Okay, Hebrews 12, uh, verses 5 through 14. Put, uh, no, I'm sorry. And you have forgotten the exhortation which addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor lose courage when you are punished by him. For the Lord disciplines him whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what, is, what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time at their pleasure, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with all men and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Oh man, jam-packed. Um, but certainly, you know, uh, pointing to fatherhood to give us this image of the Lord's discipline, you know, giving us context, helping us understand, you know, how discipline works and and how we regard the events of life that may seem difficult. Um, you know, John Mark, I credit yeah. the fact that you've become such a well-disciplined, holy man and a good father. I credit that with way back when, when I broke that wooden pizza paddle over your bottom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those commercials where you can't remember what they were selling because it was so hilarious, but yeah, we, we, we laughed that one off, yeah. <laughs> But it does deal here with the, the fact, and I underlined, he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Yeah. I mean, that's the context here, that we, we have our Lord, That uh, even in this morning's, one of the Liturgy of the Hours readings had, had to do with the, uh, accepting the, uh, the pain in our life. Oh, no, I was, I was reading Father Grishel's wonderful book on, on the devotion to Lord Jesus. He was talking about Augustine's idea, reminding that the, the pain, the discipline, the, the struggles in our life are God's way of shaping us into his direction. 
So this is not, so we have here in this passage, not only our willful discipline, but it's modeled on how dis- God disciplines us in our life. Yeah. And the acceptance, you know, so the, the acceptance of, of looking at the things in our life as these opportunities, as these things that are meaningful, but that which we have to engage with or else they, they won't bear fruit. Um, you know, I, 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 it's really interesting toward the end of this passage, this um, lift up your drooping, drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet. So there, there's a couple things going on. You know, we have kind of a spiritual meaning of, of this, which is that, you know, you need, you need to, to engage your will, to accept, you know, these opportunities to grow in discipline. But even on just, again, going back to the, at the beginning, on the physical level, there's, there's truth to this notion, again, that whatever we do with our bodies affects our spiritual life. Sometimes we can focus on the spiritual life and it, and it becomes only this heady intellectual spiritual exercise and we ignore what we're doing with our body. I mean, there's a reason the church has us kneel and stand and fold our hands because we're, this is part of me. And so what I do with my body matters. And so sometimes the first step, especially when we're feeling weak in spirit, I, I always thought the, the, the passage interesting. Uh, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, sometimes the, the spirit is willing, but we're not doing anything with our bodies. You know, sometimes that's the time to get down on one's knees, you know, or to stand up or to go out and take a walk when I'm feeling depressed or I'm feeling discouraged. Sometimes we need to engage our bodies, you know, to, to step up, to, to stand straight and put our shoulders back so that we're engaging our whole being in receiving the discipline of life that the Lord is sending us. You're talking about what we do with our bodies affects what we what happens with our spirit. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go to the next passage, 1 Corinthians 6, which is a bigger context, but because of time, we'll just look at this quickly. Because he talks about the absolute importance of what we do with our bodies. Yeah. For in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 13, he says, the body is not meant for immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The God raised and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I therefore take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who joins himself to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is united to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Shun immorality. Every other sin which a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought for a price. So glorify God in your body. I mean, it really summarizes what you were saying, John Mark, and of course what what uh, Saint Pope John Paul II was you know, bringing together in his theology of the body. But it really becomes important, even discerning our calling in life, single or married, as Paul gets into, is our ability to respond to grace and accept the discipline and challenges of God, so that our, we present our body. As a spiritual sacrifice, Paul says in Romans 12, we present it to God because it is an expression of who we are. And as he says, we've been, we're his, he bought us. Right. So are we, are we stewards of what we've been given? Yeah.
And again, this 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 separates us very uh, forcefully, very distinctly from those, you know, in the early church, you know, at, at this time and throughout the church, whether explicitly or implicitly, would begin to dabble with the heresy of, of thinking that our body or the material world is bad or evil or impure in some way. No, it's good. God created it. You know, um, sins of immorality are not sinful because they involve the body. They are, they are sinful because our heart is given to something or some person other than God in some way that is outside of his plan, his will, his desire for our lives. It's not the body that, that defiles things. It's what comes out of you. It comes out of your heart. Um, and so that's, you know, that's the, the issue. Everything that we do with our body is either done, again, in the context of trying to do God's will, making it a spiritual sacrifice. You don't sacrifice something that's bad or dirty or impure. You sacrifice something that's good and holy. So yes, we discipline our bodies. We submit our bodies to our vocation, to our calling, because they're good gifts that God's given us, and we want to steward them. I was trying to think of a modern analogy. If you got a computer that's all messed up, and uh, you're talking to me, I say, "Okay, John Mark, I'll I'll fix that computer. I'll pay to fix that computer if you use it correctly." Right. <laughs> so I pay to fix that. I now own that computer, but you're using it. Yeah. But if you're not using it the way I told you you should, then I say, excuse me, that ain't your computer. That's mine. Right. 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 You use it the way you're supposed to. Well, that's what Paul's saying. We're supposed to use our bodies because they're God's. Mm -hmm. he, he paid for them with a price and a, yeah. and a very big price. Okay, John Mark, pick up on the next passage. First Corinthians, do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Well, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I pummel my body and subdue it, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So again, what's again a great uh, passage that uses the analogy of, of the athlete. We see in 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 that person's life where with their goal in mind of the perishable prize, they, they see everything in their life as part of the discipline that contributes to whether or not they're, they're going to run the race and win the prize. Well, that's the same with us. We, we seek an imperishable prize, but in the same way, all aspects of our lives, our, our, our bodies, our, our health, our money, our time, our relationships, those are all part of the, this gift of life that God's given us. So how are we using them? Are we disciplining ourselves? Are we, are we growing there? Yeah. And this phrase, I pummel my body and subdue it, uh, is some part of the foundation for the tradition in the church of, of fasting and sacrifices. You know, right. some more hair shirts or whatever it was, or to, to, um, um, to take something out of our life that really enjoys so that in that little suffering, it disciplines our spirit. Right. So that we can handle the big stuff when it comes along. Yeah, it's the detachment-attachment thing, as you were pointing out earlier. We, we detach in order to be more attached to Christ and to his purpose for our lives. All right, one last verse. We'll see if we can sneak this in from 1 Peter yeah, yeah. <laughs> chapter 4. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, keep sane and sober for your prayers. Above all, hold unfailing your love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. The, the the word for sane and sober really means self-discipline, uh, self-restraint. But I, I put this in here to emphasize something, that 
on the one hand, this is a long haul, as you just quoted in the run, but there's an urgency to it. As Paul and the other New Testament, there's an urgency. We live in the end times. We need to be ready at all times to stand before God. That's why we're called to discipline the morals of our life so we can hear and discern and do his will faithfully. Thanks, John Mark, for joining me. Amen. Thanks, Dad. All right. It's been a real pleasure, as it always is. And thank all of you for joining us on this program. I hope that our discussions are encouraging you to dig into Scripture, to dig into Scripture so you can discern the clarity of God's will for your life. God bless you. We'll be with you again next week. Deep in Scripture is a production of the Coming Home Network International. To hear more episodes, view our full archive of written and video conversion stories, participate in our online community forum, and more, visit chnetwork.org. You're also invited to explore free membership in the Coming Home Network and receive support on your own Catholic journey. Again, visit chnetwork.org for more information.